This is Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. Classes will end at UW-Milwaukee in Washington County and UW-Oshkosh-Fond du Lac. And another two-year UW System campus, UW-Platteville at Richland, is officially closing after not having any students since May. UW System's two-year campuses aren't the only ones experiencing problems. Ten out of the system's 13 colleges have projected a budget shortfall in the coming year. UW Oshkosh is reducing staff with buyouts and layoffs, and Republican lawmakers have blocked a pay raise for over 30,000 UW System employees. Our next guest has been following the news from across Wisconsin's public university system, and you could join in at 800-642-1234. Are you a student at or do you work at one of UW System's two-year colleges? Have you noticed declining enrollment or other problems in recent years? Are you involved in one of the campuses that's flat-out closing? What is your reaction to that? If you're at UW Oshkosh seeing these big cuts there, love to hear from you as well. Join in with uh, your thoughts on the future of public universities in Wisconsin at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Rich Kramer is a reporter at WPR who covers higher education. Rich, welcome back to Central Time. Hey, Rob, good to be back. A lot going on in your higher education beat right now, Rich. Let's start with the two-year schools. Uh, One, we kind of already knew, I think, was on the way out. Now two more. Can you tell us a little bit about the latest announcement? Yeah, it it was a bit of a surprise this week, although um, a lot of people in the counties with these two-year campuses um, have kind of been expecting similar actions from the UW system, um, comparable to what happened in in UW Richland late last year. Um, So yeah, as you mentioned during the, uh, the lead in here, UW Milwaukee's Washington County campus uh, last fall, it had 332 students. Um, I mean, that's down 67% from 2012 and UW Oshkosh has 258 students last fall. And that's down about 63% from 2012. And that's really the same story for for most, almost all of the uh, the two-year, what are now called the branch campuses. There are 13 of them, or there were 13 of them. And then there's 13 universities. And the branch campuses used to be known as the University of Wisconsin uh, colleges. Mm-hmm. And they were meant as a stepping stone for uh, students who might not be able to get into a, a four-year university, you know, study closer to home, et cetera, and then be able to make that that leap. What does this mean, or do we know what this means uh, for someone who's currently enrolled at one of these uh, two-year satellite campuses? So the the impacted campuses, the, the message from the University of Wisconsin System President Jay Rothman is that um, they'll be offered enrollment at at other campuses. Essentially, generally, I think like when it happened in at UW of Richland or UW Platteville at Richland, students were offered the option of enrolling at uh, UW Platteville's other branch campus, which is nearby about an hour away, or they could enroll at the Platteville main campus or really enroll wherever they like within. They're going to, I mean, they're going to finish out the semester um, at Washington County and Fond du Lac So that means at the end of May, so essentially, they'll have to make a decision of where they're going to go. Now, there's some practical outcomes that you've written about, Rich, with that UW-Platteville at Richland campus, for example. Now, we know they didn't have students. There was some talk of online. Now it's officially closing. 
Uh, there's buildings, there's infrastructure there, and there is an arrangement between the UW system and Richland County that, uh, well, there's some question marks now about what happens next. Talk about that a little. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that goes for every single one of these branch campuses. That's They represent a really unique relationship between state government and local government. So the, the yeah, the, the buildings and the property at UW-Richland, Washington County, Fond du Lac, and, you know, the 11 others around the state, they're owned by the county. The county pays for maintenance um, and, and you know, construction, major in construction. So the, the counties have put a lot of money into those facilities. And then in turn, you know, they've got these 75-year lease agreements, for lack of a better term, with the UW system. The UW system offers, you know, their end of the deal is we're going to provide the instruction, the students. We're going to put the, you know, the human part in there. So it gets into a bit of a game of um, language. I don't know. With regard to Richland, it's a prime example because President Rothman announced in right, right before Thanksgiving of last year that they're going to end in-person degree-bearing classes. What that meant was that this May, at the end of this uh, semester, the spring semester, it was it. I mean, there was not really anyone on campus. But the UW system was saying, well, we're maintaining a presence. What that does is it holds up their end of the deal um, as negotiations ongoing negotiations continue between the UW system and the county. Some of the county board uh, members in Richland County want money. They say that they put a lot of money into these campuses. They say that, um, you know, now they're left with lost economic opportunity because those students the few that they had used to bring in, you know, money. They used to spend money there and they had to live nearby and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, some county board members have put a price tag of up to 50 some million dollars, which might not be the end number. Um, others have said lower numbers like, you know, one and a half million. But either way, this is a situation that's going to have to be dealt with somehow because if we go way back to like the 1990s, there was a UW campus in Medford, uh, and that was the first one of these two-year colleges to close. And there was a deal where the legislature had to agree to to, to reimburse the county. I, I forget the details, but that's where the sticking point is now. Um, as as we, you know, the, the, the terminology from ending in-person classes to closing. So I'm not sure what it means, but... Um, it took the people in Richland County by surprise that that the campus is officially closing. Some people were trying to keep it uh, for higher education or some sort of educational purpose, but now it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Talking to Rich Kramer, reporter for WPR, who covers higher education, looking at a lot of news from across uh, the UW system, the universities of Wisconsin, two-year campuses, a couple of them closing, big cuts at UW Oshkosh. You could join in at 800-642-1234 if you've been personally affected by these changes. Are there changes you'd like to see uh, come to the UW system one way or another. Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. This, of course, all has an impact on the people who work at these campuses. Rich, here's a listen to uh, UW System President Jay Rothman talking about that. Whether it's layoffs and furloughs, uh, changes at our branch campuses, or uncertainty over their wages, 
I recognize that it is an extraordinarily difficult time for our employees. Can you talk, Rich, uh, about the impact on, we'll get to UW Oshkosh in a moment, but before these two-year campuses, what do we know what all this, uh, what all these changes mean for the people who have worked there? Not much. Um, with, again, I keep going back to Richland, but uh, in that situation, there were offers, um, at least a discussion of offers to have some of those staff members go to another branch campus or go to the main campus in Platteville. I'm not sure. I think um, I know that one woman that was an instructor at the Richland campus just opted for retirement. Um, but they're they're going to have to make decisions as well. I mean, it um, the universities, I, I, you know, I, I really don't know. They, they're not in a position to be hiring a bunch of people right now. Uh, most of them have these budget deficits that we've talked about a little bit. So it's unclear. I mean, they might just end up having to look for other careers. Let's go to our callers now. Chris is with us in Appleton. Chris, hi. Hi, thank you. Um, as the uh, technical colleges in Wisconsin have been offering associate's degrees that allow students to go to the four-year college afterward for the past decade or so, have their enrollments increased in, during that time? Chris, thanks for the call. I'm looking at numbers from uh, 2021 to 22 that saw an increase in that time span, Rich, for the overall technical college system. Uh, what do we know about uh, trends in technical colleges? Is there a thought uh, or is anybody expressing the idea that, hey, maybe people are going there instead of these two-year campuses? Well, that's a great question. Um, the enrollment has been declining at the, the two-year technical colleges, or I, I should say the technical colleges, they offer a wide variety of things, mm -hmm. uh, including associate's degrees. There was a big expansion of that just last year, I want to say, which was uh, seen by some in the UW as a real threat to these these UW colleges. But um, their enrollment has also been kind of declining over the years, and COVID hit them very hard, very hard. I mean, nationwide, we saw people that were going to these community colleges and technical colleges, these two-year programs, Generally, you see people, uh, lower income, you know, working adults, parents, working parents, um, they just didn't have the capacity to go to college when all the stuff hit the fan uh, because of the COVID pandemic. So, but they, like you mentioned, Rob, they are bouncing back a little bit. And the technical colleges also do a great job of offering um, high school students enrollment. So, so high school students can get their degrees before they're even out of college. UW is doing some of that, um, but the tech colleges are way ahead. And also what the tech colleges are looking at is they're trying to, to find new ways of upskilling people. So one thing they some of these operations do is they'll go to an employer and they'll offer classes for employees while they're at work to, to work towards certification so they can kind of level up in their jobs. Um, so the tech colleges are really nimble at, at, um, finding different ways to get people education and, and therefore get some some income. But, you know, it's not easy for them either. I mean, generally speaking, high school graduates in Wisconsin are just choosing not to go to high uh, uh, college because we've got a lot of employers that are, are paying big bucks right now or great starting wages. And you've also got some of these employers that offer, you know, um, tuition if you want to go to a tech college and level up and get that certification or degree or whatever, 
So the face of higher education is just mm -hmm. changing so quickly. And the pandemic just put it, put the foot on the gas. We're talking to Rich Kramer, WPR reporter who covers higher education, looking at the closure of three UW system two-year campuses, other financial issues and challenges with the state university system. You could join in at 800-642-1234 with your thoughts, your questions, maybe your experiences, especially if you're personally affected by some of these changes. 800-642-1234 is the number. We'll pick up the conversation coming up on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. We're picking up our talk with WPR higher education reporter Rich Kramer about the closure of 3W system two-year campuses, other financial issues facing the University of Wisconsin system. Back to your calls at 800-642-1234. Rick is with us in Wisconsin Dells. Rick, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Good. What do you want to tell us about? Uh, well, we need to we need to uh, we need to really discuss this. Um, I'm a uh, I was a former athletic director and assistant uh, professor at UW Baraboo. Um, our UW colleges, the two year campuses, are absolutely amazing. Uh, the work that's done there, the academic rigor. Um, I've worked in a private four year college, and it didn't even compare. Um, what juniors and seniors were doing compared to what we had our freshmen and sophomores doing at UW Baraboo. Um, and the reality is this all came, this all started back with act 10 and Scott Walker. Um, and the basics were, you know, that what happened was the campuses were basically shut down on some of their money and funding. They were told, that we're not going to have a dean at each um, of the 13 UW colleges anymore. Um, so you didn't have a name, a face, a leader of each campus. They got rid of some of the associate deans that were in charge of recruiting, going out to our all of our local high schools and letting them know that, hey, you can come to our campus and get the same education um, at, a, at a local price. And that's the reality of it. The, the other part of it related to what was talked about with the two-year campuses, uh, um, technical colleges, is most people don't realize the funding is completely different in that the technical colleges are in on our property taxes. Um, every property in every county that has a satellite or a core technical campus you are paying property taxes for that you are not for the uw colleges rick thanks a lot for the call rich rick pointing toward uh, he says uh, disinvestment two, in effect two fantastic points yeah um so i mean aside from the uw system like this goes back act 10 also in 2015 2013 there was a tuition freeze uh for residential students that was a big blow for income with regard to the uw all uw schools then there was regionalization of the, um, uh, the, which Rick was talking about with regard to the two-year campuses. So a lot of proponents of the two-year campuses said they lost their local identity and, and they were kind of an afterthought. And because of that, it just, you know, it started going downhill. And then in 2017, 2018, there was restructuring with of the UW system. And that was meant to, you know, these these two-year campuses were merged officially with uh, four-year universities. But if you look at the enrollment, um, the enrollment declines, which were happening anyway uh, across the board for higher education, because you know after the, the Great Recession, a lot of people went to 
you know, during the Great Recession, a lot of people went back to college. Well, it started declining because we had peaks of enrollment. Then after the restructuring in 2018, that enrollment, especially at the branch campuses, really fell at a faster rate. You know, I don't know exactly why that happened, but some have said, well, that's obvious because of the gutting of the two-year campuses. Uh, but then uh, I forget the other point that he, he made. Oh, the property taxes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The tech colleges do have a really big advantage and they've got sustainable funding through the property taxes. But just this this uh, legislative session this year, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss um, introduced a there was a, a bill that was changed and the amendment would have basically said that tech colleges can no longer use property taxes to fund general operations. That bill was withdrawn. It wasn't acted on. But I've been told by people, various people, that that was essentially a warning because there's some lawmakers that are upset with the property taxes going up consistently at places like the tech colleges in Milwaukee and Madison. So essentially, lawmakers sent a message that you better knock it off with these increases. So we could see that change as well uh, in the future. It all depends. There's a lot, lot going on. Rick, thanks for that call. Talking to Rich Kramer, who covers, among other things, higher education here at WPR, looking at some big news in the UW system. Rich, uh, before we run out of time, I want to look at a couple of the other pieces of news going on out there. UW Oshkosh, one of the four-year campuses, uh, substantial staffing cuts, uh, layoffs, uh, part of it, buyouts, and the other. What's going on there? Yeah, that's because of an $18 million deficit that goes back to the tuition freeze. It goes back to the funding cuts. And then also this year, there was a $32 million cut, essentially a cut to the UW system budget uh, requested or basically called for by Voss and, and successfully included in the state budget. Um, so that all kind of adds up, but also enrollment is declining at the same time. At UW Oshkosh, what happened is they had a structural deficit, just like 10 of the other 13 four-year universities. But the tuition reserves, which is like the biggest cushion, that the, the pot of money that they can kind of freely use to move around however they need to, they were set to run out of that. So they, uh, the chancellor said, we don't have any choice. We have to cut. Those, uh, like you mentioned, it was about 216 staff positions. No faculty members were cut, but that included 12 administrators, that's getting them some savings, um, but we're likely to see similar situations. We've already seen furlough announcements at other schools like Platteville, um, and I forget, maybe Parkside as well, but, but that's all because the the, the deficits are growing or, or staying the same. State support isn't uh, increasing, and the, the cushion, the reserves that they uh, have had which is a whole other story, are just shrinking. And without reserves, these campuses don't have any other choice. And that reserve whole other story, it wasn't that long ago uh, that campuses were criticized for having reserves that were too big, yes. at least according to some leading uh, Republican lawmakers. Yeah, that happened in 2013. There was a, a fiscal bureau, a legislative fiscal bureau note that mentioned a billion dollars. Well, 414, something like that, million dollars in tuition reserves and lawmakers were outraged by that. That's why we got the uh, tuition freeze. The lawmakers essentially said you have to spend down your reserves in order to keep your balance uh, books balanced. And the reserves went down, 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 down. And they're they're still in that situation right now.
And then finally, uh, some of the Republicans earlier this week blocked uh, scheduled pay raises for UW System employees, uh, 34,000 people. Disclaimer, uh, WPR uh, is via UW-Madison. We are part of that story. Uh, What is going on there, Rich? Well, the latest on that is um, the the Joint Committee on Employee Relations. The the, the raises were approved 4% this year, 2% next year. They were approved by state lawmakers in the budget. But there's this committee that is co-chaired by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss that has to give final approval before they can go into effect. And he said he was going to withhold that as part of his pressure campaign against the UW system to try to get them to dismantle diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at all the campuses. He originally wanted to cut almost, I forget what it was, like over 100 positions. Um, And that's what the $32 million cut was about, too. Voss says that DEI is indoctrination. Uh, he's called it the 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 new woke religion of the left. So um, Voss has made an offer to the UW saying we'll let these raises go through, but you have to give the legislature final say over any new p- positions you want to create. And the UW, I guess, did not want to do that. Voss says that just shows that they would rather not you know they'd rather not see employees get raises than give legislature control so it's it's politics it's a big big political uh situation and a lot of people impacted and rich uh briefly that's a lot we've talked about already what are you watching for next in higher education stories oh man i don't know the uh (laughs) that's a great question rob uh honestly i think me and a lot of other people are wondering whether other two-year campuses will kind of suffer the same fate. I'm really watching to see what happens with this uh, this lease between the UW system and Richland County, which of which I think there's 15 years left on it. So if the, if the UW system is saying we're closing the campus, it kind of feels like that means that they're stepping away from the lease, but I wouldn't, I have no idea what happens with regard to that. Now I'll be trying to find that out. Rich, thanks a lot for sharing your reporting with us. Thank you. That's Rich Kramer, reporter at WPR who covers higher education. He talked to us about financial issues facing the UW system and the politics behind some of those issues. Join Wisconsin Public Radio tonight for live special coverage from the Oval Office. It starts at 7 o'clock. President Biden plans to speak about the U.S. response to war around the world, both in the Middle East between Hamas and Israel and between Russia and Ukraine. Tune in for live special coverage from NPR. That's tonight at 7 here on WPR and WPR.org. couple days back, we asked you to share your favorite TV shows to re-watch or older shows that you discovered maybe even years after they were actually on the air. A lot of you called, and we heard for even more of you on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Here are a bunch of your responses. Travis says Seinfeld. Dave goes with anything Star Trek. Jimmy says definitely Corner Gas, Dobie Gillis, and Red Dwarf. A little more science fiction there. Linda says MI5, a great BBC spy series. Lynn writes, friends, love the characters and stories, watched it then and now over and over. Brandy says, so many. The first one that comes to mind is The Office. Sadie picks Frasier and Seinfeld. Michael says, every Star Trek except Discovery. Diana says, Bones and Monk. David, oh, this is a good one for radio fans. WKRP in Cincinnati, along with MASH, Doctor Who, and The Big Bang Theory. So much TV, so little time. This is Central Time.
You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. Here's some rules for you. No phone calls before 7 a.m. or after 9 p.m. Say hello and introduce yourself by name when answering the phone. Pick up after three rings. Those are a few pieces of advice from vintage pamphlets on phone etiquette. They might sound familiar if you grew up with a landline in your house, but a lot has changed over the last decade. Today, more than 9 in 10 Americans have a smartphone, which is changing when and how we communicate with each other. So what are the proper ways to make and answer calls nowadays or to not make calls? Our next guest talked to an etiquette expert and a bunch of people of all ages about their phone habits and compiled a handy guide for how to be a polite phone user in 2023. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have personal rules about when you want to call and when you want to text or to have people call or text you? Is there a popular phone faux pas, a phone pas that drives you nuts? How has your phone use changed as you move from landline to cell phone or cell phone to smartphone? Uh, and how about people talking on their phones in public? How about doing it on speakerphone? Love it or not? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Heather Kelly is a reporter for the Washington Post where she covers how technology affects our everyday lives. Heather, thanks a lot for joining us today. I'm happy to be here by phone. I'll point out as well. That's right. Yes, we're being uh, we're being very polite with each other and answering each other's calls. Though now you you talk to an etiquette expert. You talk to a lot of people about their uh, phone pet peeves. Was there one thing that came out like this is a consensus? Everybody hates this. Yes. So a lot of these were really dividing people, especially along generational lines. But the one thing that really brought us together was using speakerphone in public. <laughs> that seemed to be universally kind of a who is who is doing that and why. Um, so, you know, if nothing else, I feel like we can agree on that. Please don't do that. Now, for a long time, we had sort of, you know, landlines in our houses uh, once we got out of party lines. And we had a long period to adapt to that. It seems like things have changed so fast that people are really scrambling to catch up. And as you mentioned, people of different ages may have very different rules. Yeah, I think especially if you've been making phone calls for a really long time, um, you, you've sort of settled into these habits that uh, a lot of these developed when we had answering machines <laughs> and to be told, oh, we don't do things that way anymore can be a little jarring. Um, and I've also had a lot of pushback of like, you know what, I'm a boomer. I don't really feel like changing my habits now. And I also respect that. Now, the one of the biggest questions and maybe I think one of the more divisive ones for some people is, can I just call you? without prearrangement, without sending a text first, what kind of responses did you have for the uh, unexpected phone call? So I've been talking to people about this I, basically since Apple first announced some features at the beginning of the summer. Um, and Gen Z would really prefer it if you text first. If you just give a heads up, uh, just a random out of nowhere phone call. I don't know if you've received these. If somebody calls you and you're not expecting it, I think a lot of us have that instinct of, oh my God, what's Who wrong? Died? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so if you could text, but also, and this is very important, say, I need to talk and say it's not an emergency or say why, <laughs> or else we'll also think who died. Um, it just helps everybody's anxiety, planning, and schedules. Is there room for, you know, hey, uh, mom and dad, we know we can call each other whenever, or do, do people kind of like make their arrangements for everybody else? I have one set of rules. You and me, we can call each other whenever we want to. It, there is the like the mom and bestie exclusions to all of these. I think if you have an intimate relationship with somebody, you know them very well, you know what their phone call etiquette is. You know if you could just call them in the middle of the day or not. And on the flip side, they'd probably feel comfortable enough to know that they don't have to answer if they're not in a place where they can talk. Uh, so I think those are definitely their own animal. 
but maybe this will this will help some parents ask their children like what do you prefer what can i do to make your life a little easier all right now heather here's another scenario i call your cell phone and you don't answer and it goes to voicemail should i leave a voicemail I mean, look, you can leave a voicemail. I'm not going to stop you. Am I going to listen to that voicemail? Probably not. I haven't listened to my voicemails in years. Um, a lot of us have this technology now that automatically transcribes them. And so we are reading them. It's a faster, more efficient way to get the information, except the transcriptions can be wrong. And then you come to the conclusion, well, that should have been a text or an email. So really, voicemails are this leftover answering machine technology that I feel like we should let die. Talking to Heather Kelly, reporter for The Washington Post. She covers technology, changing technology, and how it affects our everyday lives. We are talking about the new phone etiquette or phone etiquettes. Not everybody agrees on every point. Love to hear from you at 800-642-1234. Now, we're, we're old-fashioned here on Central Time. We want you to call us <laughs> unsolicited-like. We'll pick up the phone and talk to you. 800-642-1234 is the number. Is there something about... Uh, talking in public, uh, calling without texting, whatever it might be that really annoys you about phone life. And do you have intergenerational differences where you want it one way, somebody of a diff different generation wants it a different way, call in at 800-642-1234. Okay, Heather, talking on phones in public. Now, speakerphone, I think there's a consensus, uh, except for the people who actually do it, don't talk on speakerphone in public. What about if I'm just out and about public? I got the phone up to my ear, not speaker, but I got a loud voice. I don't know. Uh, what are our attitudes about that these days? So you're unique in that you have radio voice. I think most people have like <laughs> people indoor voices. <laughs> exactly. You do this professionally. I, I mean, I think it's fine. I, I would just be aware that people can hear you. And I mean, if you're having a juicy conversation, I personally will be very careful to listen to everything you say. So, you know, just be aware there's people around you. If you're walking around, like, that's a great time to take a phone call. If you're in the middle of a line at a store, maybe not so much. Okay, now here's something. I don't think you got to this in your article, and I'm kind of dumbfounded by this. Public restrooms. I have encountered this where somebody is in a stall having a conversation uh, that clearly could have waited. It wasn't about a medical emergency or anything. Like, in my book, I would, I would never even think of doing that. Is that something that came up in your uh, focus group, Heather? You know, actually, like pri private restrooms came up, um, public restrooms did not, but there is like some people will just take a call whenever like they don't know how to, you know, decline a call and text I'll call you later, and they're answering in the bathroom. Um, I think I speak for a few, I think maybe this is another universal thing we can agree on. Don't answer the phone if you're in a in a stall or on a toilet. Please, please don't do that. Yeah, I won't even text you if I'm on the toilet. That's the Rob Ferret rock solid guarantee. If I'm communicating <laughs> with you for anything about a bathroom-related medical emergency, I'm not in the bathroom. Let's go to our callers at 800-642-1234. Jay is with us in Green Lake. Jay, hello. Hey, thanks for taking the call. What did you want to tell us about, Jay? So you're just talking about voicemails and making them obsolete, and I disagree 100% that many times the tone of the call or, you know, the voice and tone that goes along with the message is very important. Um, and in the case of loved ones, I think that's important also. I wish I would have saved many voicemails that I got from loved ones that are no longer with us. Jay, thanks for the call. And Heather, I think in your uh, post article on this, I saw one of the first commenters mentioned something like that, having the, the voice message from a, a departed loved one. But Jay's thought, like, 
hey, that voicemail, you're hearing my emotions that you wouldn't hear in the text. What do you think? So two things. One, in the story, we also say an exception to the voicemail thing is anything that is an emotional connection, a loved one. Uh, specifically, I want people to call and wish me a happy birthday with a song. Um, and I've also gone through the process and written about like how to save those voicemails because it's not easy to do. Um, so yeah, I totally agree on that point. I do think if there's something where tone is important that maybe you should wait for it to be a phone call. Uh, when we talked to some experts, they recommended that text-based communication is for, for facts that you want to communicate. If you want to have a fight with somebody, if you want to have an argument or anything with nuance, do it on video, do it on a phone, ideally do it in person. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's getting to our caller's point, too, that text, you don't convey that nuance. And the reader of that text, especially in a emotional fight situation, uh, may put spins on it that weren't intended, right? Yeah, and I mean, if you're out here leaving angry voicemails, uh, I'm interested in what's going on in your life because I love <laughs> gossip, but um, don't leave me an angry voicemail. Wait till I answer. Thanks a lot for that call. Joshua is with us in Viroqua. Joshua, hi. Hi. Oh, go ahead, Joshua. What did you want to bring up? Yeah, so I'm from an area that has lots of Luddites, and um, I call myself a Luddite, and, and then as well as there's lots of Amish that grew out that live out here and uh and in in my experience calling people on the cell phone i it used to be that um calling in the evening or um after hours was a friendly thing to do and leaving a voicemail seemed like a reasonable thing but it i've um had people get um seemingly irritated that i would think that they would get those. Gotcha. And Joshua, thanks a lot for the call. This is a huge change, Heather, that people are living through now where it was a norm to have that friendly evening, possibly unexpected phone call. And uh, I don't know, Joshua could like uh, invite people to call him, I guess, and, and say, hey, no, I'm still doing this the old way. And it's funny, a couple things have changed. One, we used to pay different amounts depending on the time of day, which I always thought like we were making our phone calls on nights and weekends because that's what we could afford. Uh, but one tip that I, I got after I wrote this was changing your outgoing voicemail. If you really don't want to receive a voicemail, make your message, hey, don't leave me a voicemail. Like these are two, two people are in these relationships and one can also set boundaries. Uh, so I think he should keep leaving those people voicemails. Maybe they'll enjoy them later. Joshua, thanks a lot for that call. Heather Kelly is with us, technology reporter at the Washington Post, with us to uh, check out the modern rules of phone etiquette and the debates over phone etiquette, phone versus text, leave voicemails, talk in public, and more. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Is there something that bugs you one way or the other about how we do and don't use calls, texts, voicemails, when and where we do them? Do you have differences with your peers or maybe with family members from different generations? Call 800-642-1234. You can also post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. We'll pick up the conversation, maybe hear from you coming up on Central Time. This is Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. We continue our talk with Heather Kelly about the do's and don'ts of calling and texting and voicemail and speakerphone. And you can join in at 800-642-1234 with an old-fashioned phone call. 
voicemails. Love them, hate them. Do you have any phone pet peeves? How about older phone etiquette that you still swear by? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Let's go back to your calls now. Jeremy is with us in Mineral Point. Jeremy, hi. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I just want to say this is a really fun topic to kind of chime in on. And I just want to say for myself, like, there's some things that trigger, right? Once you hear someone say etiquette, you think about assumptions, universal truths around rules and norms. And so I, I kind of question some of those things. And then I also think about with my particular experience, like I'm hard at hearing out of my left side. So oftentimes I do speak on speakers so that I can capture everything. But I'm also mindful of my needs, not like, you know, triumphing or, you know, running over someone else's needs in, in that way. But I'm, I, when I have this conversation, I'm thinking about seen, unseen, and unforeseen reasons for why folks utilize phones in ways that we might not see it as being socially acceptable. And I think we kind of got to be mindful of that as we try to establish these all swiping norms. Jeremy, thanks a lot for the call. A great point. And that reminds me, Heather, I saw some, I, I did read the comments on this article I, that you wrote. I don't always, some people talk about, you know, I have arthritis or something like that. Texting, not really an option for me. There's going to be, as Jeremy says, reasons why some of these rules, uh, such as they are, don't work for everybody. Absolutely. And I think, I, I, by the way, I didn't, I didn't read the comments. I don't like when people are mean to me. Um, I, <laughs> they weren't. They were pretty nice uh, in that one, I thought. I am like no arbiter of, of like uh, rules that are for everybody. And I, I try to always balance that once you actually get into the story. Um, but accessibility is a big one. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's really important. And I think this is, it goes back to knowing who you're dealing with and what your relationships are. Like if you know you have an older grandparent who um can't text or sort of struggles with that technology like you have to make space have phone calls their way um one rule i actually i got from a lot of older users um because they also have some pet peeves was when you're on a video call i think sometimes grandkids or their own children will wander around with these cameras and it's very disorienting um so i think you know there's things people would like on all sides to make things a little more comfortable and there are exceptions to everything so i totally agree with him on that thanks again for that call jeremy at 800-642-1234 yeah like i can get motion sickness from some video games and yeah i definitely uh with video calls with my kids encourage them to be uh, as stationary as possible do i mean is this do younger people say push back on that they say no it's no problem we can wander around I think a lot of this is just communication, like somebody saying, hey, I have phone call anxiety. Let me know when you're going to call. And then older people are saying, hey, I get dizzy. Can you just say still? <laughs> like if we just communicate what we need in our kind of life, I think the people we love and know will be really open to it. Let's go now to Mona in Madison. Mona, what are your thoughts? Hi, um, I love voicemails because I use them to screen out spam. I have an outgoing message that says if I don't recognize the number, I don't answer it. And if they expect to call back, they need to leave me a voice message. And it's especially important because some of the numbers might be like a doctor's back office or something that I wouldn't have in my memory on my phone and it wouldn't it would come up unknown. You know, so I, I like that. Mona, thanks for the call. And I think that is uh, pretty common, Heather, people uh, using voicemail to screen. If it's important, they'll leave a voicemail, and then I'll find out that it's important. Absolutely. And I actually write about scams a lot. And my number one tip for everybody, and God, I wish my mom would listen to me, is never answer a phone call from a number you don't know. Uh, it can be really tempting. Like, what if it is the doctor's office? And this is where voice, this is why it still exists. If it really is something like a doctor, mm -hmm. they will find a way to communicate that with you. Um, scammers are more likely to leave you something that's clearly sketchy or to hang up. 
And uh, thanks for that call, Mona. And that reminds me, Heather, you wrote about uh, some technology now uh, where you can listen to the voicemail in progress and decide if you want to pick up. This is like how we, for a while, we used to screen calls using our answering machines. You could hear the person talking, lunge for the phone if it's something you realized you wanted to talk or they said something shocking that you need to follow up on right away. Now we can, uh, at least with some technology, we can do this. Yeah, this is so funny. I'm also I I had my own party line in my answering machine when I was a kid. Um, and I had to explain that to some of the Gen Z people I interviewed. Uh, yeah. So if you have an iOS, you have iOS on your iPhone, the newest version, it will it will transcribe the voicemail in real time, and you can decide if you want to pick up. Um, but the funny thing is, the original technology we didn't have caller ID, we didn't know who it was, and that's why we did it. Or we needed that extra time to run to our physical phone that was connected to a wall. Um, so I'm not sure how popular this feature is yet, but I think we'll probably find out over the next year. Thanks again for that call, Mona. We're talking about modern well, rules, debates, arguments over phone etiquette, what to do, what not to do, and uh, how things differ from one generation, maybe one person to the next. Still time for your call at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Uh, Leslie joins us now in Cottage Grove. Leslie, hello. Hello, thank you for taking this call. Well, I'm not Gen Z. I was born in the 1900s, as I've heard recently. (laughs) (laughs) And what what irks me so much is when someone calls me and I'll answer the phone, hello, and they say, is this Leslie? My only response can possibly be, who's calling, please? Uh If people would say, this is the clinic or this is Joe or whoever is Leslie here. Announce who you are. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you. Leslie, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, Heather, the debates over, you know, uh, or, or thoughts on how we identify ourselves uh, in calls. Is this something that came up? Now, that, this seems more like a business call sort of scenario than uh, your friend calling. They know it's Leslie. Well, but also the scammers, like I, I think Leslie has the, the right point. Also, now that we're on cell phones, like we're usually the only people answering our own phones. Mm. Um, so it's not a question. I personally answer my phone. This is Heather. Sam. So Except you know, if you call me, you'll know right away. Yes. You, if you answer it, this is Heather. I think we need to talk. <laughs> Leslie, thanks a lot for that call at 800-642-1234. We've got a couple of comments on uh, the Ideas Network Facebook page. Gabe writes, if it's a call before a text, I'm assuming it's really important. And even then, a text to accompany that would be preferred. If it's a number I don't know, there's a 0% chance I'm answering it. Someone leaves a voicemail. I'll listen to it, though even bots leave voicemails uh, these days. I think Gabe is in about my situation and a lot of people. Does does it seem like he's kind of falling in the norm uh, for the people you talk to, Heather? Um. Yeah, I think so. It's funny. I, I also think the people who who find sort of the rules that I came up with, um, the, the people who dislike them the most, are the ones who are the most vocal and the people who agree with them, um, you know, they're waiting until I text them to talk on the phone. Excellent. Thanks for uh, writing in, Gabe. And James writes, uh, since I keep my phone on silent most of the time, I tend to miss most voice calls. I always check my voicemail as soon as I'm able. Unless it's a robot call, I'll follow up ASAP. Most of my communication is texting, though. And yeah, like uh, in my, I have my phone in my pocket now. It is heavily silenced, of course, because I'm on the radio. Is that something you heard from people that I don't even leave my ringer on that often? This actually did come up, and I didn't put it in there, but um, ringers are not popular with with Gen Z. They don't have them on. They rely on, like, the vibrations or um, more text message and group text. So that is something that also I think as people get older and our hearing tends to go, which mine is a little in one ear, like, when we do have the ringer on, we turn it up as loud as humanly (laughs) possible. 
Um, and sometimes we get made fun of for that. Uh, let's uh, go back to our callers. Peggy is with us now in Cumberland. Peggy, I guess you have a pet peeve for us. I do. It's when people get annoyed because I don't answer the phone. They, you know, they expect these cell phones to be glued to us. And I just, you know, leave it in the kitchen most of the time. If I'm not around, they're going to have to leave a message or send me a text. And that's an interesting, thanks for that, Peggy. That's an interesting point, Heather, because, you know, when we just had landlines at home, if people call and don't get an answer, well, I guess they're not home or they're busy or something like that. There's a certain expectation that we are phonable and reachable at all times now. I love Peggy's boundaries. Um, she's an inspiration to us all. Like, don't you don't need to be attached. You don't need to answer. You're under no obligation to be there for everybody all the time. Like, yeah, spend your time doing what you love, baking, having crafts, going for a walk. Um, I do have a friend that when you text, she'll text you back the next day. And she makes it very clear at the beginning of your relationship that this is how she rolls. Nice. And, and I'm into it. Peggy, thanks for the call. And just our last a half a minute, Heather, doing this research on this piece, did it change your own phone habits at all? Not yet. Um, I I feel like I can learn a lot from the people that do comment about accessibility features and and how you know rules can't apply to everybody. That's always a good lesson to learn. Um, I still I still want you to text me before you call though. Heather, thanks a lot for joining us by phone today. Anytime. That's Heather Kelly, reporter for the Washington Post, where she covers how technology affects our everyday lives. She joined us today for a refresher on the changing rules of texting and calling in the age of smartphones. Coming up tomorrow here on Central Time, how do we get reliable information from a war zone? We'll talk to experts on war reporting and how we can evaluate potential misinformation. And it's this week's edition of Food Friday with advice on how to find great recipes online and how to skip the not-so-good recipes. If you have a favorite source, a favorite way to search for online recipes, tell us about it right now. Email ideas at WPR.org. That and more coming up tomorrow here on Central Time. Coming up after the news, we'll learn about a special project in Wisconsin that's helping women farmers and other female land stewards to learn about better conservation practices and resources available to help them develop their land. I'm Rob Ferret. This is Central Time here on the Ideas Network.